Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prime, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to a Thursday show uh, in the afternoon. We waited a little bit in the hopes that we could speak with Dan Lanning, uh, Oregon's head football coach, after the final media availability of fall camp. Is it the end of fall camp? Is it the start of Georgia week, prep week? Don't really know. We asked that question, didn't get a good answer on that. But we were hoping to get some clarity uh, or just maybe just where Dan's head's at in terms of announcing starters, and we got that. And if you're out here looking for a full depth chart, a breakdown of announcements of, of who starts where, who is the backup where, you're not going to find that. Um, I think we've got the full quote. I think Jared has it. Uh, Dan is, he explained why he will not be announcing starters basically until the Georgia game uh, with us Thursday afternoon. Yeah. Um, so Dan was just asked about, you know, what are the, what is the evaluation process and what does that look like? Um, and what else does he need to see in terms of making a, making a selection for the starting quarterback or starting punter or, kicker gig, uh, which is still up in the air as well. And he goes, yeah, every day is evaluation. Uh, I mean, we chart everything. We watch every single period. Again, the only reason I'm not really talking about it with you guys is I don't know why that's an advantage for us. You guys, meaning the media. If I felt like it was an advantage, I would tell you guys. So again, once again, you guys, the media. Uh, Yeah, he just puts it bluntly out there. I think this is what we all anticipated he would say. This think this is all nothing new. Um, he's just actually put it into the public sphere and now everybody knows that it's, he doesn't view it as an advantage. I don't think it would ever have been an advantage really naming a starter for any position, but, um, yeah, now it's just, it's confirmed. I I didn't think any of us really thought that going into this Thursday press conference with Dan, that we would get a starting quarterback nod or whatever the case may be, um, and it's it's still true. He basically said, I'm not telling you guys. And like Joe Lorig said yesterday, um, you guys will all find out in, in 10 days then, nine days now. Um, no no change in this coaching staff. I don't think any of them are going to tell us who it is that is the starting blank of their position group. Um, I think it's just going to – when 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 we see it at Atlanta, when we're there, and that's when we're going to realize who the starters probably are, and then that's when everybody else is going to realize who the starters are. 
Well, what it also tells me is I think they've made decisions, okay? And this, yep. and, and this mm -hmm. is less about internal dis discussions and just an internal strife, and it's more about it, it owning and kind of, you know, managing the message and what the message is. And I'll also say I talked to Oregon, one of Oregon's uh, sports information people. They expect a depth chart to be released on Monday. Dan will speak on Monday. Um, so we might get more information then. It might also be, as the SID joked, full of fours. He said it might look more like a six or seven deep than a two deep. So, like, I think this is what he's saying. I, it makes sense this is what he's saying. I think this is actually what he said to open fall camp when he was asked about injuries and also about the quarterback competition. Is it does, If it doesn't, if it's not his advantage, then he's going to control the message and not share it. So I, I don't think any of this is particularly surprising. I do think, well, I would imagine – whatever the depth chart looks like will give us a better indication on a lot of these position panels than we have right now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought what he said when James Crepe, the Oregonian, followed up a question about, you know, like, would you take this all the way to kickoff? I thought that was more tongue-in-cheek from Dan, just like I thought Joe Lorig saying, we're going to make a determination on the punter kicker on at kickoff. I need 10 days. I think that's more tongue-in-cheek than it is reality. But I don't know. We are going to get a depth chart. We are going to get a piece of paper that says some things, and maybe those things will be even more ambiguous than I'm expecting. But I do think, like, at some point you have to convey more information than you have, or you don't. Um, I've been doing this for a while. I've never seen a coaching staff not release a depth chart or release a depth chart that doesn't at least indicate some of the position hierarchy. I've seen a lot of ors before. Maybe this will be a record number of ors. I think Matt crunched the numbers and, and Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal, Mario Cristobal last year, Eric. Mario Cristobal last year, week one against Fresno State, 17 ors on the depth chart. So maybe this year will be more. But um, I just wanted to say that because it's possible. I don't want to. I don't want to open the podcast by saying we're not going to know for a fact until we get to the game. I think that was said because that's what he wants to say. I do think we can at least wait till Monday and see. Maybe maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe there'll be the depth chart will be completely useless, and we'll come away going like, well, okay, we still have no idea. I just think we'll we'll have better information um, then. And I and I also thought it was uh, notable he made a little he made a little joke and, and told us he's not the starting quarterback, so at least that clears that part up. Yeah, That's I I do think I do think uh, the team knows though. Yeah, like, I do too. I, and whether it's at quarterback or how I phrase it, the backup punt returner. Um, I, I think guys, for the most part, probably know where they're sitting, which then creates just an intrigue of, okay, who, who won? And we won't – I'm with you, Eric. I think we're going to see a lot of ors on Monday when the depth chart comes out. Um, if it is called a depth chart, I think Mario Cristobal called his the organizational chart the last year that he was at Oregon. Um, it could be just a roster and breakdown by position groups. I don't know. But this is kind of off script from what we were talking about for the show. But I think Dan is, in my opinion, uh, I, I think this is as close to as Chip Kelly-ish information being leaked out, talking about forthcomings of stuff uh, that we've seen from, from an Oregon head football coach since Chip Kelly. Um, and I'm not trying to say he's going to be this great, amazing, game-changing you know, coach that Kelly was. Could but the, the the he could be the similarities though are are very the, very are there between these two of how they operate and run their programs. Uh, there is very little information out, and that's and by the way, Chip Kelly's the maybe the most relevant name to the Oregon fan base. But if you want to look bigger picture and where he's been, this is very similar to how he how Nick Saban operates. 
and especially similar to how Kirby Smart operates. Those yeah. guys are not, those guys are managing information. Those guys are plugging holes, if you will, in terms of any leaks of what could come out. So um, I, I think it's notable, but I, I think we wanted to start with this because we are going to talk about some position battles that are, we're most curious about because the reality is we, and we talked about it earlier this week, usually we get to this part of fall and we can pretty confidently at least point to like, I'd say we're like 85 to 90% sure about most position battles yeah. by this point in fall. We've seen a ton of practices. We've talked to players, the players and coaches are a little bit more forthcoming in the past practices. We've seen 11 on 11 or seven on seven, or at least kind of where guys are lining up. This has just been a little bit different fall. So I, I think it's important to establish that um, and important to kind of run through what Dan said today, which again is not much different than what he said all fall. And in fact, I think this is the way that Dan Lanning era of Oregon football is just going to be. So um, some fans, I think, are probably a little bit, with, I should say annoyed, but they, they want more information. And some fans are also understanding of like Morgan's big advantage against Georgia, and it's a big advantage going to any season, regardless of first opponent, is a level of mystery. And mm-hmm. opposing teams don't know a lot about how these teams are going to look schematically because they had a spring game. And then from a personnel perspective, Shoot, you don't really have much of an idea at all um, besides what a couple of players have come. Like Tricos Bridges yesterday said he's playing corner, and that kind of unfurls a couple of different things and layers you can get through. But for the most part, we're coming out of fall being kind of like we've got an idea of some who these guys are, but a lot of the information we have is is pretty limited based upon actual what we've seen. It's extremely limited, and I I never covered Chip Kelly, obviously. Um, and I've, I've kind of put this question out loud to both of you guys before, but, you know, what would I wonder what fall camp would have looked like if Oregon were playing Eastern Washington to start as compared mm-hmm. to Georgia for their first game. And fair I, I don't I don't know if it's that big of a difference. Frankly, I still think that this is what what Oregon football from a media perspective, at least, is going to look like under Dan Lanning. And again, I totally understand it. It makes a lot of sense. He's you know one of these disciples from the, the Saban smart group and that's what that's what that how those guys operate in their football programs um i'm sure somebody like mel tucker is very similar um another one of those disciples and so i again i'm not very surprised about all of this i think we'll have maybe some of our questions answered come when the depth chart is released I'm not sure. I think honestly, I think we're going to have more questions, and I think that by the time the game starts, then our, then our questions will be answered. Um, I do. I just think it's it's interesting how he is running this program uh, as a first year guy. He very much seems like not a first year guy, and I think I actually really appreciate that about him is that he's not. He doesn't seem like he's flustered or floundering or anything like that. He seems like he has a pretty great like level head and what he's trying to do. You know, like uh, last week at one of the I think it was a post scrimmage press conference he mentioned how he goofed how he messed up in a situation and trying to clock clock the ball and get a field goal in but he messed up on that um i think it's i think it's a good thing overall for the program um and i i i, I mean i think that's about it. it it is a little bit frustrating for us not being able to see especially because we got to see some stuff during uh spring camp but um i think we'll have a decent idea going into it but i still think that there's going to be a lot of question marks or a lot of ors on that depth chart all right let's take a quick break when we come back we'll discuss kind of just areas of interest going into game week against georgia 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Um, it's... I, we, maybe we should have discussed this first as a joke, but... I asked Dan, like, is it time where the team shifts from fall camp to game prep? And not really. Yes. No. I mean, I think, Eric, you maybe asked what what are you doing? You know, does practice change um, now that fall camp is maybe close to being over? And there were some yeses, but there was also some no's. So I, I think um, the team is clearly – getting ready to start the preparations for Georgia, but are they all in on that? Not yet. Um, which still leads me to believe that maybe some position battles could be played out here in the next couple of weeks or a week or so before the season starts. But for me, the position that I'm really interested in seeing play out is on offense, at least wide receiver. I think the combinations there could be all over the place, you know, Chris Hudson's the most experienced duck coming back um, at Oregon. Chase Coda, Caleb Chapman, two transfers, grad transfers into the mix as seniors. You've got the big skinnies, uh, Thornton and, and and Franklin. Hot boys, Seven, by the way. Hot boys. Yeah, hot boys. skinnies anymore. Please, Matt. That's, <laughs> you got to keep up with those guys. Yeah. Uh, well, I did I did hear Dan call them big skinnies during, during a rep. Well, we got to tell Dan then. So could have also, uh, also, right? also been a route. That could have, that could have been a route perhaps maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but then you got seven McGee, jo- Chachi, Josh Delgado is considered one of the most consistent guys by junior Adams. Um, yeah. I just think this group, I don't know who starts. Uh, I, I feel like they're seven or eight guys deep from a depth perspective, from a playing perspective. And, I just think that the ceiling here is really, really high for this unit. They could be really, really good. And I saw a tweet earlier this week of um, one of the AP's national reporters for college football. I think it was Ralph DeRusso kind of bring up the question, like when's the last time Oregon's had a really good receiver that is like a a national name or even a regional name? And I couldn't really answer that. Um, without there being some kind of caveat like Darren Carrington, but he was suspended the first six weeks of the season. Um, or our quarterback got hurt, and that kind of killed the momentum at receiver. Is this a year in which the talent's there where a guy could maybe emerge to be a big play close to a 1,000-yard receiver for Oregon? I don't know, 
but I think there's just there's a lot of intrigue here for me. There's a lot of options, a lot of high ceiling guys. And I think it could be a room that if given some consistent quarterback play, could put up some big numbers collectively. But what about Dylan Mitchell? I mean, I, the thing Mitchell with Dylan, that dude. Mitchell was like, it was weird because I don't think he got a lot of national attention and he, uh, and obviously has no professional like perspective. I think he's on practice squad right now. Well, like you could make an argument statistically that's the best Oregon season by receiver, but it's one year and it was Oregon wasn't great that season. That was Mario's first year in 18. I think it's sorry. We're kind of going off a tangent here, but Matt, maybe sure. down it. But like, I think if I think if Dylan Mitchell had come back for another season, and in fact, it feels like he probably should have, given the way his pro career has gone, and he had, had come back and replicated or improved upon some of that production, I think he would have. He, he'd be somebody that would have probably had some national attention. I'm not sure he would have been an All American, but he certainly would have been one of the best receivers in the conference. And then statistically, you'd be like, he's now in the Jeff Mayo. Keenan Howry, Sammy Parker zone of like the best ever from a, just a pure raw numbers perspective. So anyway, just a little Dylan Mitchell love, but um, I agree with Matt in terms of like statistically that was where my head went immediately, but I know that nationally that wasn't necessarily a big name. And, and from a player that's actually produced at the next level, you have to go back a really long time to find some, like, here's a question that I don't have an answer to, but like, what was the last time an Oregon collegiate receiver went in the NFL and had a thousand yard season in the NFL? Has that ever happened? I don't know if it has, it's probably been decades and decades and maybe before any of us were born. So um, it's been a long time since Oregon has had an elite guy. I think there's certainly capability at receiver um, this year. If I'm going offense, because I think there's one on defense, I'm probably more interested on, but we can circle back on around on, on the second time around. Um, if I'm going offense, I guess I'm just really curious at running back. Um, and we talked about this before of like, you know, it's funny kind of the way this position group has, it's like the way the storyline has shifted from month to month to month, right? After the season ends, it's like, okay, well, maybe Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell will be back, and then neither are back. And then it's, well, Trey Benson, is he going to be involved? Well, no, he's going to Florida State. And then Seven McGee, oh, he transferred. Well, he's back, but he's not playing receiver. Now he's playing receiver, and he's not playing running back. Oregon only has Sean Dollars and Byron Cardwell. Oh, my gosh, what's going on? How much trouble are they in? Oh, they've got this big-time commitment from Georgia. Oh, wow, oh, who's Noah Whittington? Who's Bucky Irving? And now it seems like you get into fall and it's like, oh, Oregon's actually really loaded here. And the guys that we thought at one point, like once Travis Dye and Riddell took off, it was like, oh, well, this is Byron Cardwell and he's going to be the guy. And now I kind of think we're all kind of like, maybe he's like their second or third guy. Maybe he is their guy. But like if he is their guy, even that feels like it's going to be very much by committee. So I find running back to be really fascinating. And I'll cheat and just throw a really quick aside to I think offensive line remains one where I think – it's going to, I think we know who the candidates are. Um, I think I know who the five starters will be. I just find it really difficult to place where those five are going to be. Um, yeah. You know, I think Josh Connerly is possibly in discussion there. I mean, Dan did say that there's a possibility he plays and plays pretty early, but I don't know if you want to have him as your starting left tackle against Georgia and his first action is against Georgia. That reminds me a little bit of like a D'Anthony Thomas's first career game against LSU, where it's like ultimately D'Anthony is one of the greatest players in program history, but he also like, fumbled it and looked kind of lost a little bit in his first game and the bright lights like Josh Connerly going against that Georgia front in the first game as the blindside protector sounds kind of terrifying so I don't know if that actually is I don't know if he's a day one starter but I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately he's somebody who plays a lot but even amongst the guys returning I don't know where they all fit because only guys that have been really at one spot all year are, are walking foresight everyone else has been guards to tackles tackles to guards right tied the left side so I think there's 
plenty to kind of deliberate on the offensive line. I find that to be another position group of interest. That was what I was going to go with in that offensive line. I am, frankly, I am more interested by the running back position, mostly because we have no idea what what's actually going to go on. Like Eric was just mentioning, you have like a list of five or six guys who you you probably like those guys are going to be the starters, but you don't really know what positional uh, value that they're going to have or what the, what the coaching staff thinks about them or what positional value that the staff has about them. And I think that's, I think I'll stick with O-line because Eric just ran through the, the running back situation. But, yeah, there's five or six guys, including Connerly, but you also have Jackson Powers Johnson and Dawson Jaramillo. Um, you know, Harper. Marcus, Marcus Harper, Harper as well has been yeah. getting a lot of run as, um, in, in fall camp. So that's, you know, seven, eight guys along with Forsyth, Waugh, Big Sala, Stephen Jones, and TJ Bass. Um, you know, that's eight guys. I think that's eight guys that have a legitimate chance, nine guys when you include Josh Connerly. I think those are nine people that have a legitimate chance of making an impact on this offensive line. Um, first off, it's really great that Oregon has those guys because I feel the you know, offensive line is just one of those positions where injuries can happen, just like almost anywhere on the football field. But in, injuries to offensive linemen seem to happen more often than not. Um, and they have basically a sub at every position, you know, at guard or tackle or even at center if you have, you know, or you slide, walk over, whatever. But I, I've, I'm really interested to see what the starting five is there because there's been a lot of combinations throughout fall camp. And there were some injuries earlier, people absent from practice that gave the opportunities to other players uh, to get like on the, the first quote unquote, the first team, those reps. But then the next day, someone would be back. Um, I, I think it's all just it's kind of a toss up right now to see who's playing where and what's going on. And Eric, you have paid way more attention to the offensive line than I have because I've been paying attention to defense mostly at camp, but I don't know if I'm a hundred, like if I'm very wrong here in what I'm saying that it seems like it could be a toss up at the end of the day. Like I could have, I could list you who my expected starters are. And then when we come to September 3rd, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, these guys are all out of whack. They're all out of order. You were just wrong, Jared, wrong. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like we know who the, I, I feel pretty. I think it's going to be the five returners. I just think it's hard to put them anywhere. I think it's yeah. besides besides Forsyth and besides I think Walk is your right. Well, I don't know. I mean, Walk could be your left guard. He could be your right guard. He's played both spots. So there's a bunch I of would be, I'd be stunned if Walk was a tackle. But I think that <laughs> Forsyth and Walk at one of the guard positions, I think that's two fifths of, I think that's in every offensive line. I don't think that those guys are going anywhere in any combination of who are the starters going to be. It's just the three other guys. And again, you have a pool of seven, eight, nine guys to choose from for those three spots. So I'm really interested in that. I, I don't really have a, a good prediction. I agree with you, Eric, though. I think it'll be some rotation of the five starters, but I think that's, other than running back, to me, I think offensive line is the most interesting positional battle right now. Did we want to do defense? I mean, I yeah. Oh yeah. My absolutely. thought was on offense, um, but for I guess so for defense for me, it's it's just cornerback. Um, we talked a little bit about this. I'm sure that's one of your picks. If I stole it, um, since I was going first, but Christian Gonzalez, I feel like that's one of the few guys on both sides of the ball, we can definitively say he's starting. Like, same thing with Noah Sewell, same thing with Brandon Dorless. The offensive line, like we just ran through of, we know where those guys are starting, but maybe not where. Gonzalez is starting. Who opposite him starts is 
up for debate. We know Trek West Bridges is now playing cornerback. Is it Dante Manning? How does Avante Dickerson fit into the fold? I got played a lot last year on special teams, blazing fast. What about a Jalil Florence or a Jalil Tucker or a Kamari Terrell? We know Terrell's cross-training. He's playing at safety as well as at corner. Um, much like receiver, the options at cornerback feel almost endless of the combinations that they could co- come up with. And maybe for me, the better question would be, is that because they're that good or because they don't have a definitive fourth or fifth guy that's kind of emerged in that room at that position group? I don't know. I don't know that answer. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, I mean, it, I, thought, I thought it was noble, Matt, when, when we talked to uh, Coach Martin, Coach Meet yesterday, you, you asked, you know, would you like to see a fourth guy emerge? Because as you've you know, stated, I think it's pretty clear. Bridges is playing corner. It's Gonzalez is, is the one. And then it's yep. some combination of Manning and Bridges. I might lean Bridges just because last fall he was ahead of Manning and started games and seemed like he had the upper edge. But I don't know. We haven't seen with this fall, you know, in the spring he was in, at safety. So, and then we're just kind of learning now where he's working full time. So it's hard to really figure it out. But, but what I was getting to is that coach uh, Martin was like, yeah, no, I would love to see a guy step up and take that ownership of that fourth position. And so far it sounds like either nobody has, or if somebody has, he doesn't want to tell us. Um, I, I think so. And my, my pick on defense plays off of, because I kind of thought you might go there and, and it plays off of that is, with Bridges now not playing safety, okay? And with Lorig, by the way, saying yesterday that Hill and Williams are maybe a 50-50 split at nickel, but when one of them is at nickel, the other one is going to also be playing safety. I'm now kind of going, okay, so let's say hypothetically you've got your corners, and in my mind it's something like Gonzalez and Bridges, and you've got Hill probably up closer to the box because he's bigger and he's probably better nickel fit. And you have Bennett Williams as one deep safety. Who's working at the other safety? That's the one I'm now kind of questioning of like Brian Addison was a guy who all spring clearly had that job. Last year, yeah. Steve, Steve Stevens was the starter there, and Addison replaced him. Um, what about a Damon David? We know Damon David's not working at nickel because yesterday Lorig said the guys working at nickel are Hill, Williams, uh, Kamari Terrell, JJ Greenfield, and, and Marco from Germany, or kid from Germany, Marco Vidakovic. Um, so we kind of know who the candidates are. So we know David and Trey John Williams are working back there in some capacity. But, like, I think it comes down to an Addison versus Stevens role for that other safety spot probably. And I don't really know who it'll be. A part of me thinks you got Stevens who played and started eight games last year. But then you also have Addison who the staff seemed really infatuated with in the spring who's big, he's long, he's athletic, probably more of a playmaker, probably just a little better athlete, but doesn't have the playing experience. So that's where I'm kind of curious is – I think we now have a little better idea of where these guys are playing, but I still kind of wonder kind of what this kind of composition looks like at the back end. I think both of those options are, are really interesting. They're intriguing to me as well. I think it's actually really important that Oregon had a third cornerback because in spring it was who's going to be the third quarterback. And now it's who's going to be the fourth. So you at least have a little bit of insurance there. Right. Um, for safety, the, there goes my prediction of, you know, TriQuest Bridges and Brian Addison as starting safeties. Um, very sad. Uh, they were a great little backstory. I've talked about it on this podcast before. Um, makes me sad. You know, I, th- those are my guys. I, I had everybody came at me and said, you need to have Bennett Williams on the field. I said, no. 
Jarquez and Brian Addison. But now you probably do have Ben Williams on the field. However, I'm moving. I'm going to the defensive line. Um, I want to know who the heck Oregon is going to play on the interior of this line because there are a lot of dudes, and this is not a problem. This is just purely a competition. Um, this is a great competition to have. Cornerback, safety, that's not the – those competitions aren't the best to have because there's a lot of question marks. This right. the, the, the interior defensive line have a lot of question marks of – Good question marks. It's just like who's going to be the best player possible of these like six or seven dudes. So the, the idea is that Dorless is playing on, on the defensive edge and DJ Johnson or Brandon Swinson or Trevin Meyer, someone of that is going to be on the outside with a hand out, not a hand down, hand up. Um, my, my eye is hand down all the time. My eye is hand down, excuse me. Um, of So DJ Johnson and Brandon Swinson, let's say that, or Mace Funa as well. Mace is um, my, my, my guess in that situation is DJ Johnson. I think that he provides the best potential of an, of an outburst of a huge season. Um, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about him during spring and fall. But interior, you have a bunch of guys. You have Popo Amavai, uh, Sam Taki Taimani, Jordan Riley, Keon Ware Hudson, uh, Casey Rogers, another Nebraska transfer. Uh, I am definitely forgetting somebody here who's pretty important. Keanu Williams is another guy who's in there. Um, I can't remember. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. I think you got it. I think you got it. Yeah. Nice. So, and all of those guys are, are capable of playing. You know, Keanu Williams is the youngest of the group. I'm pretty darn sure. He was a high four-star recruit coming out of high school, or a four-star recruit coming out of high school. But then you have the two Nebraska transfers in Riley and Casey Rogers, who both play kind of a different role. I think Rogers has been – somebody who could line up at defensive edge, kind of like how Brandon Dorless is doing. But uh, Jordan Riley is just a massive human being. Um, I'd like to know what the pairings are inside there. Um, I'd like to know if they're going to go two huge guys and Riley and Ta- Taki Taimani. That's like over 650 pounds of bodies right there to try to uh, get as many double teams as possible and leave the edges open for Dorless with or DJ Johnson with a one-on-one. Are they going to go a little smaller and go Popo and Keon Ware Hudson, who aren't small by any normal means of a human being, but compared to Taki and uh, Jordan Riley, they are smaller or Casey Rogers, something like that. Um, I think that's what I'm most intrigued by. I think it's a, it's a really interesting group of players. I think there's a lot of different skill sets. There's a lot of guys with experience or some guys without experience. Um, there's some guys who are a little little skinnier. There's some guys who are really big you know, space eaters like Riley. Um, but at the end of the day, you still have Dorless. You still have Johnson or Mace or Braden Swinson on the outside. Um, I, I, again, I think these are – it's an interesting matchup for me or, or position battle, but I think it's a really huge green light question mark when it comes to this positional battle. There are no really bad options here. We should know – while we haven't been able to go into practice, it does feel like, guys, that like from just taking you, you two taking attendance every single day, yeah. um, it doesn't feel like there's anyone that is has missed practice for a prolonged period of time going into the weekend, which is a good thing. That that are really well, important. None, none of the yeah, really yes. important guys. It's, it's like super yeah. down the depth chart guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which. So I mean, I, injuries doesn't feel like it. It's it's holding any of these groups back, which gets to the question of, um, 
like like for Jared saying like defensive line, like it's literally just figuring out who starts where and what combinations are. It's not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of depth. It's just figuring out the numbers. Maybe at corner and at at in defensive backs, maybe there's a little bit of do they have enough guys? Right. But but it's not because of injury. It's just how the roster's made up, and you you've been preparing for this the whole whole off season. So I think just the point I'm I'm trying to make is it feels like Oregon's going into the weekend before the first week of the season, feeling like hey, from players that were expected to contribute in a big way this season, everyone seems to be at least relatively healthy, which is a good sign. That's not coming from Dan, so you know, maybe they've hidden some major injury. We don't know. But from a health perspective, you're in a good good place. Yeah. And just before we wrap up, I'll say the guys that have been absent for a really long time are all defensive guys. It's Mikhail Afkisi, who is, by the way, Jared, he might have been one of your interior guys before the injury, but we haven't seen him basically all fall. Suave Pody, Suave is probably Pody is probably one of the other names that you could have thrown into that discussion. But like, I did, I did forget two guys. I'm gonna quickly say Ben Roberts and and Sir Mel's. Those are two other interior guys. True true freshmen who weren't gonna do much. Right, but they popped into my head. Okay, cool. Uh, And then Jaden Navarro is the other one. He's an outside linebacker who's been gone for a while. So those are like that's three guys. Navarro. Navaretti, I think is how it's pronounced. I want to like get confirmation talking to somebody about this because everybody like James is still pronouncing it Navarette. We've been pronouncing it Navarette, but then the pronunciation guide I think is Navaretti. So I want to make sure I'm reading that right. Um, regardless, those three guys are the only players who have been absent for extended periods of time. We continue to be absent. We also had Justice Slow and Bram Walden miss the last practice we attended on Wednesday, but um, we might not get, by the way, we're probably not going to get to watch practice again. So um, we'll see what happens in terms of injuries. I will say just one final, two final injury thoughts. Like Brennan Dorless was kind of like a, in a weird deal on Tuesday where he showed up a little late, only was on the exercise bike, but then on Wednesday he looked fine. And then I'd be, I'm kind of monitoring Popo mm-hmm. uh, Amavai. I think just kind of watching him walk in out of practice and the drills he's not taking part in, just seems like he's kind of favoring his right leg. So I don't want to put too much stock into it because we're still away from you know, the start of the season. He's been, right. he's been participating at every practice we've seen, but like I just would monitor. Like I wouldn't be stunned if Popo's role is just out of the gate from an injury perspective, maybe limited a little bit, but that's really small stuff. Yeah, I think it's, it's all really small stuff. Um, Feo Lu is another guy who's been kind of limited. Every once in a while is off to the side doing his own thing in the warm-up groups, but then is taking part in, in some of the offensive line drills, was- right, Eric? Last last practice, he was doing everything. Yeah, so that's a. But the overall in the injury situation, it's 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 great for Oregon if you look at it compared to where we thought the offensive line was two weeks ago compared to what it is now. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, for for all the the injury struggles that Oregon had last year, you really couldn't ask for anything better for for this this fall camp to start. Um, just you know, one one last thing. If if somebody knows if it's Jaden Navaretti or Jaden Navaret, please you know leave a comment either on the YouTube video or in the podcast section. You know, we just want to get to the bottom of this thing. We don't you know we want to get everybody's name right. And again, we we always apologize for the the Polynesian pronunciations on this podcast because none of them can do it. And if you didn't realize that when Brandon Huffman came on the show, and go back and listen because he's he's beautiful with it. 
Can I have a second last thing, Matt? Can I have one more last yes. thing? Yes. We just keep Go doing last it. things. We'll just do last things for last now. Thing. Last, last thing. Yeah. Last thing. I like that. That could that could be a segment. A, a segment. Yeah. yeah last, last thing. The last thing. Um, I wanted to talk special teams because we haven't done it. And we got Ooh. a little bit of information from Lorig that was, I think, kind of interesting um, on Wednesday. Uh, how about the idea of just being a committee in terms of the punt and kick return? I haven't really seen that actually be a thing. And I don't. Okay. He said, and, and this is one of those things where I'm like really getting into the weeds with how we delivered that information. But he was like, I'm not just trying to hide it from you guys. And I'm kind of going like, are you trying to hide it from you guys? And I'm also like, how much benefit is there from hiding who's the team's kick and punt returner from the opposing team? Like, are they really going to, they wouldn't prepare any differently if they're like, it's seven McGee and Chris Hudson. Well, actually it's no Whittington and Jordan James. I don't think George is like yeah. losing any sleep over that nuance. Um, but if it is actually a committee at punt and kick return where they're going to rotate throughout the season and throughout games, like that's kind of interesting. I, I kind of wonder what benefits you have besides keeping guys fresh throughout a game. Like, are there certain return packages, quote unquote, where you would rather have a certain type of person have the ball in their hands as opposed to another? Like it's, it's just seven and Chris with being kind of smaller, more slight guys fit better in certain um, returns as opposed to a thicker, stronger, more sturdy guy like a, a Cardwell or a Whittington. I don't know. Just some thoughts. I thought that but I thought that was kind of notable is that, there, that those positions sound like he said throughout the season will be done as uh, by committee, which I thought was notable. Um, and then just the – I kind of want to give my final predictions on the punt, kickoff, and field goal uh, positions because Lorig also said that they're not going to make an announcement until kickoff. But I would be very surprised if anyone other than Adam Barry is the punter. I think he's mm -hmm. going to be the team's punter. He has done a ton of that at Temple. He has a lot of experience. Ross James, I feel like they brought him over largely to be the next guy. Barry's a one-year guy. James could have up to three years after I think Camden Lewis is probably the team's uh, field goal kicker and extra point yep. kicker. I don't know for I mean we haven't, we haven't seen a single snap there or rep there no. we should say, so it's, it's kind of hard to know. But I don't I haven't heard that he's had a terrible camp, and I will say he has a lot more collegiate experience than Bales or Boyle, who are a combined two of five as place kickers, and those all come from Alex Bales. And then kickoff specialist, I'm going to go with Alex Bales because he's done it a lot at Cincinnati, at, uh, yeah, at Cincinnati, whereas. Um, Boyle only has like 10 kickoffs and four of them went out of bounds. So um, I kind of can go in with my predictions being Barry's the punter, Lewis is the place kicker, and Alex Bales is your, is your kickoff specialist. And that is where I am ending all – that That was my last thing, Jer Matt and Jared. I don't have any more last things. Are you I sure? Just, uh, I don't think so. That's good. No. Okay. I, uh, I wanted to touch on the special teams thing too. Because well, you have a last thing, but Jared has one more last thing. Well, I don't know if it's a last thing. It's like a it's a half thing. I've got a half thing off of Eric's last last whole thing. Um, okay. The the special teams I've done a lot with. I've I've, I've watched them every single day. We've we've had it in all of our practice reports, and um, it's pretty clear from those practice sessions and talking to Lorig. Um, while they won't announce a starter, I the what Eric has said with the projected starters of Lewis at place kicker, Bales at kickoff specialist, and Barry at punter. I think that's. The, I think those are the three guys. Um, I think Andrew Boyle and Ross James are the odd odd guys out at, at this point. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of love for, for Boyle. I've been roasted after a podcast appearance for not mentioning Alex Bo or Andrew Boyle. Excuse me. All the ABs are still getting to me. Um, but 
I, th I think just from watching practice, it's clear that those three are, are the leading candidates. Um, Boyle is somebody who both kicks and punts, so he's an all-natural guy. Um, pretty impressive if you ask me, but I don't think he does either of them better than the other guys in his situation. Um, Bales was a tremendous kickoff specialist for Cincinnati. I know Eric and I talked about, about that on, on this podcast after the first day of fall camp, so a couple weeks ago. Um, and Lewis has... You know, he hit a 51-yard field goal during the second scrimmage. Um, so I think that's a positive development. And again, there's not a lot of experience behind him uh, in terms of place kicking, kicking field goals, anything like that. So I think that's 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 all I got. Um, I don't have any other notes, news or notes, um, unless, yeah, that's about it. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast later this week, kind of just previewing the upcoming season, making some predictions in regards to 2022 Oregon Duck football. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.